We now begin the fifth parak of Maseches Get, and this is Parak Hey Mishnah Aleph five one. And the Mishnah is continuing to discuss various tikkune haolam enactments that the rabbis made to make the world a better place. Um, now, although our Mishnah won't mention that, and neither will the next Mishnah, Mishnah Gimel will say that these enactments are mitme tikkune haolam, and that is referring back to our Mishnah as well. So, the main topic of our Mishnah is that the rabbis put in place certain um, enactments which said that if you're paying various obligations with land, they specified which type of land you should be using in terms of the quality of the land. Now, Chazal divided land into three categories, let's call them in terms of quality, A, B, and C. A, the best land is called Idis, not exactly clear, it's an Aramaic word that means best quality land, essentially. Then you have B class, which is Benonis, average. And then you have C class, the worst, which is called Ziburis. Ziburis, again, not perfectly clear in the etymology. Um, maybe it comes from like, um, it's just essentially referring to Zuboris. It's it's like empty land. Or from like um, Zibora, like a Devora is like a, a hornet, which stings you because the land is full of Kotsim and so on. And, and working it is like a thorn in your side. Whatever the case is, Idis, Benonis, Ziburis, class A, class B, and class C land. Now, sometimes uh, when Chazal are referring to land by these three categories, they refer in, they're talking about absolute terms, and meaning, yeah, in terms of the world at large, if they would consider this to be like an A, B, or C grade property. Other times, we are referring to the property in the context of the the total, I'll call it portfolio, the holdings of the, let's say, the mazik or the nizik, the person who has to pay or the person who's getting paid, and we're saying from the person who has to, has to do the paying, for example, we look for, let's say, the Idis, the best of his properties, or Ziboris, the worst of his properties. And sometimes we're talking about, from the context of the Nizik, the one who's been damaged, we say, relative to what he holds, in terms of his portfolio of real estate, let's call it, um, what he considers to be best or worst, based on what he holds. Okay? So sometimes it's absolute, sometimes it's relative. In our Mishnah here, um, we're talking about relative land qualities, and we're focusing it on the holdings of the person who has to do the paying. So when we say here that a person has to pay from Idis, we mean from his best properties. When we say Ziboris, we mean from his worst properties, whether or not his portfolio is especially good or bad relative to the rest of the world. Now, a question that has bothered me for as long as I can remember, learning Gemara and Mishnayas, is the following. We're, we're going to say three different categories where a person, let's say, has to pay, you know, 200 zuz because either A, he did he damaged somebody, B, he defaulted on a loan, or C, has to pay a ksuba, let's say, for example. So we're going to say, essentially, if you're paying because of damage somebody, you have to pay from your best property. If you're paying for paying a loan, it's average property. And if you're paying at a ksuba, it could be from your even your worst property. Now, if you'll ask the question, wait a second, all three of the parcels are worth 200 zuz. So... Why doesn't the price reflect the value taking everything into consideration? And that being the case, people should be indifferent to getting a 200. Like, in other words, it's like saying, do you want an apartment with one bedroom, two bedrooms, or three bedrooms? But the one-bedroom apartment is worth a, you know, a million shekels, and the two-bedroom is worth a million shekels, and the three-bedroom is worth a million shekels. It's just that they're in different locations. What do you care? Each one is worth a million shekels. So the best I can tell... Um, that line of thinking, which is the way I think, is sort of based on, like, I'll call it modern economic theory and um, notions and not how Chazal thought. 
uh, best I can tell, the way they would value property, and in truth, I gave examples of apartments, but I think the simple understanding here is we're talking here about, let's say, fields that grow wheat. So it's fields of land and their productivity um, for raising crops, etc. So the it seems to me, and I can point to like the Tverus Earl and so on, um, others, that the value of, of a piece of land is taking into consideration only its output um, and not the, the cost of production, the cost of goods to produce the output. So meaning, for example, they just figured out, listen, if a field produces 100 bushels of wheat, it's worth 100 zuz. And uh, that doesn't matter if it's worth, if it produces, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter if it's a more efficient, high-producing, high-yielding field or if it's a low-producing, inefficient, not very fertile field, the value is a function of how much it produces. So if you assume that's true, and I think that's how Chazal are looking at it, so therefore, obviously, a person would prefer a more fecund, a more like a fertile piece of land because you can do less work and have to, you know, would you rather have to till one acre or two acre or three acres of land for the same, you know, 100 bushels? Of course, you'd rather only have to till one acre and have to water with buckets one acre than have to water three acres of land and till three acres of land, even though the output is the same. So the best I can understand is what makes something idis benus ziburis in the context of, of fields where you're using to produce things is how efficient or how fertile they are. Um, but the value of it has got through just total output and therefore people would prefer smaller, more efficient parcels to larger parcels, even though the output and the cost, the purchase price would be the same. Okay, so with all that said, now our mission is going to have three categories. The first is Hanizakin, people who have been wronged, who have been literally damaged by their fellow Jew. So the halacha is that if a person, Mr. A, damages Mr. B, um, and that could be punch him in the nose, it could be breaks his window, it could mean that he doesn't guard his cow properly and the cow goes and gores his cow, you know, all that good stuff from Bavakama. All that's included in, in, in Hezek, in the context of this mission here, and even things that are further out, like if a person um, steals, or let's say a person has to pay a kanas for seducing someone else's daughter, and all that kind of stuff, all the different categories of payments where you've wronged somebody, not, in, not meaning not literally just damage to his property, but other kinds of um, financial crimes or whatever, we you know, torts and so on. So the halacha is a person, is, the bad guy is supposed to pay with his, with cash, with most money. And if he doesn't have money, he's supposed to pay with other metalt and other chattels, things that are sort of fungible and saleable, you know, like, you know, bushels of wheat or, you know, bottles of wine or something like that, which have a fixed market price. And that's obviously much easier to deal with and to sell and to monetize. And that's what a person would prefer. But if the the bad guys, I'm calling him, the perpetrator, the mazik, the person who caused the damage, or the person who stole, or the person who raped the girl, or whatever the story is, um, if he's making this payment and he hasn't got cash and he hasn't got chattels, so then the courts will essentially confiscate his land and then give it to the victim. So the point of Rabbi here says is that Hanazakin, when it comes to payments that are made to make compensation for someone who's been wronged by another, Shaman lahem be'idis, the courts will confiscate, if they need to have recourse to his land, they'll confiscate his idis, his best property, idis relative to his property portfolio, the best that he has to give to the victim. This is a tikkun olam, this is an enactment the rabbis made to make the world a better place, because really me'ikar hadin, as far as the letter of the law will be concerned, 
if the mazik, the person who caused the damage, is liable to pay, you know, 200 zuz, so he should be able to pay with a piece of property worth 200 zuz, whether it's a larger, less fertile ziburis type property or a smaller, more fertile, more fertile, more efficient idus type property. 200 zuz, 200 zuz, that's what he has to pay, and he pays it. But the rabbis made this enactment so people should be wary and careful and not damage their fellow and be inhibited from stealing and so on to make people do, do bad things in society have to pay with the best of their property. Okay, so that's the tikkun ha'olam. Now there's a question lurking here, at which the Bartonu addresses right away, and which you probably have too if you know your Pesukim well. Because the Pasuk specific the Pasuk itself in the Torah says, in the context of someone have to pay, make a payment for damaging, Meitiv Sadehu Umeitiv Karmo Yeshalem. He shall pay with the best of his lands and the best of his vineyards. So if that's the case, so then you'll say, wait a second, the requirement to pay from Idus is a Dinda Oraisa. Why are we calling it a Takana for Tikkun Olam. So the answer is that according to one opinion of the Gemara and the opinion that the Mepharshmi are primarily going with, the person, when we say the best of his land, that's a, that's focused on the portfolio of the Nizak, the person who has been damaged. And we say that the standard of property with which it can be paid can be a function of the victim. So that means if the victim is like a slumlord, whatever, a poor guy, he only has, you know, B and C grade property. And let's say the, the perpetrator, the bad guy, has A, B, and C property. So we're saying that the perp, midoraisa, the mazik, the person who perpetrated the wrong, can pay with B grade, bainanist property, midoraisa, even with this puzzle, because that is the best kind of quality of property that the nizak, the victim, has. And therefore the rabbis came and enacted, nope, that's not good enough. We want people to not feel they're rich and do what they want. These rich guys, if they do bad things, will have to pay with the best of their property. So that would be the Dinder Abundant. Um, fine. Worth noting, there is another sheet in the Gemara um, who understands that Metev Karmo, Metev Sadeo, Metev Karmo Yishalem is a Dindo Raisa that applies to the Mazik, in which case there's no Tikkun Olam here at all. If that's the case, so then our Mishnah here um, is going like Rabbi Shimon, um, and Rabbi Shimon says that you're allowed to... Um, Darshan, you're allowed to extrapolate the 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 tam, the reasoning, the rationale behind mitzvahs in the Torah, based on the halachas. Um, and if that's the case, so the point of our mission here is to tell you the rationale behind the Torah, the tam behind the Torah, saying that the mazik has to pay with his best midoraisa. It's to tell you because of the sake of tikkun olam to make the world a better place, so to speak. That that uh, that the Torah shouldn't uh, that the Torah doesn't let the rich abuse or take advantage of the poor just because they can. But uh, anyways, that's that's the other approach that the Gemara learn, the Gemara brings according to Bishimon. Now, so that's the first case. Nizak and Shaman Lahem Be'edis, the best payment, best land is paid for people who have been damaged or harmed. Ubalchov Be'benonis, when it comes to the paying of a Balchov, a, when you have someone, a creditor who loaned money, he's the Balchov. If the debtor is in default and doesn't pay back his loan, so we're saying that the Balchov can get repaid from Bainunis from at least the average quality land of of um the the debtor, okay? The person has to pay. Meaning, we're talking here that this is a, a, a 
tikkun of tikkun olam, because really, meikar din, technically speaking, what should happen is, if a person borrows money, he has to pay it back. He has to pay cash. He can't use his land. And if he hasn't got cash, he should pay with his metal and his chattel. But let's say he has none of that. So now he's in default. The creditor wants his money back. The debtor says, have no money. If they go to Bezin, the Bezin will again confiscate the property of the debtor to make the creditor, the lender, whole. Make a redin from the Torah, even Ziburis, any land. If he, the creditor lend two, loaned 200 Zuz, he should get back 200 Zuz of property, and it should be even from like a Ziboris low-grade property because we're 200 Zuz. But no, the rabbi said we're raising the bar, and we're saying that the creditor can get paid even from Bainaris, the average quality land of the borrower. Why did the rabbis make that enactment? Because we want to have, um, we don't want lin ol delas bifneha lovin says the Gemara, we don't want to slam the door and have it locked in the face of the borrower's meaning. The lender here was doing the, a nice thing, right? He was essentially lending money to this borrower. It was interest-free. He was just giving him working capital or whatever to tide him over. And the next thing you know now, he he you know he got stiffed by by not getting repaid. And it's essentially what's boiled down to is he loaned this guy 200 zoos in exchange. He got back 200 zoos of the worst land. So what's going to happen? He's just not going to lend money to people in the future. Not only he won't lend money, but his other rich neighbors will not lend money in the future because they'll say, why should we lend money? We end up getting stuck with dud property. So it's no good. And therefore, the rabbi said, so that people would not be hesitant to lend money to their fellow Jews in need, we're saying that the, in the event of default, the lender gets back bitterness so that he won't be inhibited from lending. Okay, the third case here is Uksuvas Isha Beziburis. The ksuba of an isha is paid out even from the lowest quality property that the husband has. Now, what this is saying is as follows. Um, we, this is actually me'ikra din, meaning according to the Pashat reading here, the Tanakhama doesn't actually learn that this is a tikkun olam at all. It's just, you know, part of the parcel. We're saying there are three categories, best, medium, and worst lands that go for different kinds of payments. And just for the sake of completeness and memorability, we have this clause in here as well, Zotikun um, Olam. And the that's going on over here is as follows. Maker Adin, if a person's paying out with land on some obligation, whether it's any of the obligations we saw up to now, for damaging, for defaulting on a loan, or paying out a Ksuba, Zibura should be sufficient. I mean, land is land, value is value, and they've the, the guy's been made whole. Whoever's deserving of money has been made whole by this land. The rabbis saw reason to raise the bar and say, listen, if you're talking about Hezek, you're damaging people, you're doing wrong by them, we're making it the best of your land, Midurabadan, so that you will not damage people. When it comes to defaulting on loans, we're making at least the average quality land against so people wouldn't be inhibited from lending money, which is bad for society. When it comes to people getting married, we actually want people to get married. We don't want to make it that husband think twice about marrying women. Women are not going to not get married because of the quality of their ksuba guarantee. And therefore, there's no reason to raise the bar from what the standard of the Torah would be, which is if you're paying, if you're paying the obligation of the tzuba, you can pay even with your ziburis. That's how the Tanakhama holds. Now, Reb Meir disagrees. Reb Meir has a whole different worldview on things. Okay, according to Reb Meir, he says af ksubas He says even the ksuba woman should be paid with benunis property. Um, and this is a tikkun olam, certainly. It's a rabbinic enactment to require that. But it's actually from the other direction. In other words, instead of raising the bar, he's lowering the bar. Let me explain. According to Ramir, the obligation to pay the ksuba is not a dinda rabban. It's a dinda oraisa. The pasuk 
um, says Kesev Yishkol Kamora Basulos that he, I'll tell you who he is in a second, has to pay out money with like the mohar, like the dowry of a virgin girl who get married for the first time. Now, the fact that this is the context of a mefate, like someone who seduces a girl who's not married, he has to make this payment. Now, the fact that the Torah says there's a mohar basulos, there's like a dowry for first-time married girls, so that she's like losing because she's no longer a basula. So he understands, or may understands, that the this indicates in the Torah that the idea of a ksuba is a doraisa phenomenon. It's a doraisa concept. Okay, there's an obligation to doraisa to give a ksuba. We don't pause now. We we hold that ksuba is a rabbinic enactment and it's a rabbanon. That's Tanakama's worldview. But in Rabbeinu's world, it's a doraisa concept, and it was taught in the context of the mafata. The mafata, the seducer, is a bad guy. He like falls in the category of the. Nizakin of the he's a mazik, right? He causes he causes trouble. He has to pay, and since the mazik has to pay from the best of his stuff, according to Reb Meir, who understood the pasuk that we quoted before, Mativ steu mativ karma yishalem. Reb Meir holds the obligation to pay from your best if you do damage to someone is a doraisa, and it's the best of the mazik, not of the nizak, as I explained before. But he goes with the approach that it's the doraisa that requires the guy who does wrong by another person to pay from his best. So therefore, the ksuba, which is done from the best, because it's connected to the, the mafata, he'll have to pay medoraisa out his ksuba from the best of his property. But if one requires that, if the bezin requires that, as the Torah is requiring it, people will be very hesitant to get married. We won't be left unmarried, which is not good for them at all. We don't want that in society. And therefore, Reb Meir did a dindera banan at tikuna olam. He said, "Listen, even though midoraisa subish be paid out from it is the best." Says Reb Meir, "We're lowering the bar and saying you can pay from your bainanis so that women will be able to get married." Um, now, so that's his approach. Now, lahalacha, lahalacha is not like Reb Meir; it's like the Tanakam. I'll call it, but let me make sure it's clear. When it comes to nizakin, people who have done been done wrong by again, they should be paid out. Um, from cash, if they can. If not, with the Talton. If not with Talton, then we'll take Idus, like it says. When it comes to Balchov, again, Benaris, like we said, the same way, it should be cash, Lachachilo, or Matalton. If there is none, the Bezin will confiscate his Benaris. When it comes to Ksubas Isha, it's different. A woman's Ksuba is now paid out since the time of the Gaonim, not just from land, but also from chattels. So then that means that, you know, her cash and his stuff would come ahead of his property. And also, um, furthermore, Ksuba is now written to specify that um, he would give. Um, Shefra Arag Nechsen, he would give from the his good of his his uh, property. So that means that also if a woman's collecting from property, she can get from Idis, not just from uh, Ziburis.